0: Hey everyone, just wanted to give a heads up before we got going with this week's Quick Hitter podcast. A uh, couple of, of, of things about uh, this week's Quick Hitter. Uh, we only had two guests on there. Uh, two big reasons for that. Number one, uh, the smaller reason, uh, and this happens from time to time. I uh, thought I had a couple people lined up, fell through. Uh, just, you know, stuff like that happens. Life gets in the way and I, and I get that. Uh, second biggest reason is I was pretty preoccupied with getting our coaches clinic off the ground and all the way through this weekend. And it went really, really well yesterday. I'm recording this Sunday night at about 10 o'clock, uh, Speakers were really, really good. Uh, the information cover were, was really, really good. The breakout sessions were really good. Uh, conversation was, was great. Uh, and I think everybody that attended had a really, really good experience. Uh, I want to give a, a really big shout out to the following people. First of all, my activities director, Andy Christensen, uh, for letting me do it up there at Fort Calhoun. I want to thank J.J. Stoffel. I want to thank Joel Huger. I want to thank Jen Raggi. I want to thank Adam Stolzer for pinch hitting hitting at 36 hours before we got going. And I want to thank Drew Olson uh, from Concordia University for coming out. also want to thank uh, Nate Wall. I want to thank Sarah Goodwin. And I want to thank Dexter Goodner for uh, leading the uh, discussion groups and all of that. It was was a really, really terrific day. Uh, I do want the listeners to know that if you were not able to make it, I'm going to be editing the videos. We recorded everything that was done in the gymnasium. We didn't record anything with the small group discussions, but we did record everything that was in the gymnasium. And the plan is to spend this week uh, getting those edited and getting those ready for public consumption. And so... My goal is a week from today and that can be either Sunday or Monday. I'm going to give myself until Monday, but I want to try and get it done by the time our next podcast drops uh, our next interview podcast drops next week uh, to have those ready for folks that would like to purchase those and have access to them. But I'm going to need a few days to, to edit those the way I want to. I want it to be I want it to be done the right way. I think if you're going to put your effort into anything, you need to do it the right way. So uh, give me a few days to get that taken care of, and uh, hopefully we have that ready to go. Like I said, uh, in about a week or so. And and just uh, reach out to me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Or uh, direct message me if you are interested in taking a look at one or all of the presentations that we had. Uh, JJ did uh, baseline, sideline, late game situations, out of bounds plays, all this other stuff. Coach Usher did a great job with shooting, shoot the fundamentals, shooting drills. Uh, Coach Raggi did some stuff with uh, defense and shell drill and rebounding and uh, and a lot of things there. I talked about offensive fundamentals. Uh, uh, you know systematic stuff, and I talked some feeder team and youth stuff in that, uh, in that area, uh, and then uh, Coach Olson talked about his full court pressure defensive scheme and what he does, and then uh, Coach Stolzer talked about his longhorn offensive system uh, that he's used uh, to score a lot of points. So, coaches, I encourage you to check it out. We've got two great guests on this week's Quick Hitter, though. There's only two of them, but they're really, really good. Uh, One of our deepest dives when it came to analytics and really breaking down the game, uh, you're going to hear a lot of great terminology and a lot of good stuff here with Kelly Kilsmeyer, the associate head coach at Quincy University out of Illinois, and then Chris Oliver from Basketball Immersion. So, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great one. In a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to Quick Hitters, volume number four. We are back-to-back editions of Quick Hitters, and that's just kind of the way the schedule worked out uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We've got three terrific guests on this week. Kelly Kilsmeyer, the associate I want to make sure I get your title right, Kelly. Associate Head Coach At Quincy University, a a longtime veteran of Division II women's basketball, uh, women's college basketball, uh, assistant at Wayne State for, how long were you guys there, like 10 years?
1: 10 years. 10 years at Wayne State.
0: Yep. Uh, At Wayne State, at Upper Iowa University, and now at Quincy University uh, in in Illinois. Uh, Coach, how are you doing tonight? How's everything going, man?
1: Doing wonderful. Just excited to be on with you tonight about some hoops, and I just appreciate you, Marty, for
0: for the invite. Hey, not a problem. I, I th- there's not a lot I remember uh, from the 20 plus years ago when we when we met at Coach Finley's uh, camps down at Iowa State back in the day. Uh, I don't know, you know, uh, not to get too deep in the weeds, but it, we, we we had ourselves a good time. Wouldn't you say, Kelly? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
1: what was better? <laughs> Nothing better than just hanging out, talking
0: hoops
1: and you know, coaching camps and yep. just having
0: some great laughs every night. Oh yeah. And the and the great thing about those was um you'd get done with the campers around 9 9ish, 9:30 and we'd go back into the coaches' offices and we you know f- folks would be hanging out till 1 or 2 in the morning and people would be drawing stuff up on the whiteboards and you know, uh, I remember one Bill was like, "You're not allowed to leave until you give me a good out of bounds play. You got to drop a good out of bounds play." I'm like, "Coach, I'm tired. i I need to go to bed. You're, we got to get up at seven. I'm like, I need a good out of bounds play before you." Like, Fine. I just scribbled some stuff up there, uh, you know. But I, you know, some, you know, got got back to the dorm. I, I survived it. I survived. It was it was well worth it. So. Uh,
1: well, yeah, I mean, of course. Like, you know why <laughs> Coach Finley was always doing that. I mean, if you go online and watch his films of his out-of-bounds, I mean, he runs so many different out-of-bounds plays, and they're all great. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I ever need one. I'm, all, I'm always looking looking Iowa State women's basketball up on Synergy and trying to steal one. <laughs> I, I,
0: I have yet to find the one that's named Marty, though. I, I, I am a little disappointed in that. <laughs> So, uh, I, I, I'm sure there's one that's named, you know, Killsmeyer or something like that.
1: I don't know. We probably named it Harry Carey for all the impersonations
0: you all used to do. <laughs> Hi, everybody! Welcome to Wrigley Field, wherever we are. I'm not sure. Oh, good times, good times. We need to move on to basketball oh. before you get me in a whole lot of trouble, Kelly. So. Um, <laughs> So uh, let's let's dive in here. I, I wanted to talk about uh, a couple of topics with you, and kind of like what we talked about before we, we started uh, recording, uh, one of the things I really like to do with the college coaches that I invite on is, is you guys, just by virtue of, of the time that you have to concentrate on your teams, you have smaller numbers than we have. Uh, I mean, there, there's there's pluses and minuses to all these stuff uh, between high school coaches and college coaches. I'm not I'm not saying that one's better or one's worse, but uh, you guys a look you know live in a in a diff in a bit of a different world than we do as high school coaches because you guys uh, have more time to to watch film throughout the day to prepare for opponents to, to really break stuff down. You know your you know your tech is 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 more probably broken down. Uh, you know you have folks around you, you. Your support staff is you know usually uh, bigger than ours. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about you know some some offensive stuff, some offensive trends that you've seen in the game, and uh, we'll start with with your offensive stuff and and what have you guys. Uh, done that that has been what actions have been really successful for you guys and and kind of you know some go-to movements when you need a hoop uh that that you think is is really hard for other teams to guard
1: well for us i mean the the first thing that we've got to do with our kids is we've got to get the terminology down Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of people are going so much positionless and I've found just over the recent years is first the first thing that we cover is vocabulary uh, because you know when you when you're in those huddles and you're in those situations, kids need to know you can't be there and explaining you know certain cuts, certain motions, certain things uh, where you got to get to the trigger spot, the elbow, the, just certain situations, and you want to be able to just say that in the huddle without having to draw it up Mm -hmm. you need to have your kids prepared terminology wise just so they build that basketball knowledge because if you're trying to draw stuff up in the huddle and explain to it they may not know it they may not understand it so you know it it really starts in practice for us to have them prepared moving forward just in all aspects Mm -hmm. you know if if the ball goes inside, you know where are they where are they doubling from, where are they digging from. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many a lot of kids that we're bringing at, and I've had this numerous conversations with even Division One head coaches and other D two coaches. A lot of kids like because there's not much of a post game anymore when that ball goes inside. You know somebody. Leaves the person who threw the ball in there to go. Kids don't know that that's a dig, and then it needs to come right back out. Mm-hmm. As to where a double, a double's coming from the backside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't they don't know the terminology of like when people are icing ball screens, or you know, a lot of teams nowadays defensively they're locking left, and instead of doing a defensive slide, they're turning and running. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we try to get a lot of this terminology in our players right away. So we could say, hey, you know, they're going to be locking left. There's probably going to be, you know, if they go off this and they push you over the screen to the left, they're probably going to switch it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to look for the slip down under uh, and try to get it out of your hands pretty quick. Once soon as you come off that, because if they're going to switch on there, there's going to be that little slip area where we can get get you down into the short corner. Mm-hmm. So. You know, for us, I know I kind of went through that pretty quick, but well, real quick you know, for us, it's just the, just learning
0: that terminology. Yeah, how do you, how do you teach that? Uh, uh, do you have a, a player binder with that vocabulary in there? Is it uh, you know ha- you know know this by practice day one, or is it every day we're going to introduce one or two? Uh, terms here and and situations uh, that you're walking through with the kids, or you showing it on film, or is it just a little bit of everything? I mean, how do you guys teach that next-level terminology to your players?
1: Well, and some of it is, is we do have binders, and some of us have, you know, the higher up and you get more technology, you can get into stuff to where kids can have their entire playbook, Mm -hmm. basically, on their phones. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know there's some coaches uh, use like Google drives with their teams.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So like you know, Google Sheets, Google <laughs> Google spreadsheets, yep. all of that. Yep. So the kids always have access to all of that stuff. And then you can, as coaches, you could pull put stuff in there. But for us, you know, I, I believe journaling, having your kids journal, having you, you know, talking about stuff because when you're going and you're preparing for games, everybody's going to do things a little bit different because all of us coaches feel like we have the best
2: philosophy in the world and we know what's best and how it works. So, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's
1: always going to change a little bit. So for us, what I like to do is just just keep it simple. You know, the the old-fashioned just, you know, when you're in fifth grade and you're learning how to spell and everything was just written out and just had a little definition. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, just get it right there. And then once you get to the courts, you know, I try to teach it not only on the dry erase board, but I also try to teach it on the court because some of the kids that you get there, you really have to understand how kids learn. Mm -hmm. You know, some kids, you could just sit there and you can look at them face to face and they're just, they're going to understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But some kids need to see it drawn up on a whiteboard before they actually get to the court. And then once they go to the court and start getting more hands on, they're going to start to develop that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, kind of going along with that terminology is you have to preach communication mm-hmm. because you can't just assume that each, each other knows. You have to know the obvious.
0: Yeah. So. And, and if they don't know it, hopefully you can communicate it, your communication has a level where, hey, I might not know exactly what I'm what I'm supposed to do, but I'm listening to my teammate, and they steer me in the right direction to, to overcome that, especially when you're dealing probably with your with your first-year kids.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing once your kids start to not learn that terminology, how much they start to use it in the huddles, because, like, you know, when dead ball situations, I don't know if you want your teams huddling up or, or if you preach that. I know we always try to preach that, that, you know, hey, if they're seeing adjustments on the court, you know, even like free throws, any dead ball situation, they can huddle up and use that terminology and instantly, instantly know how to make that adjustment. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, for me, being the associate head or something like that, I can, you know, with the five that are on the court, because we need to try to save our timeouts as much as possible,
2: yep.
1: especially towards the end of the game, because we can advance the ball.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I don't want to burn timeouts, so we will. I'll be having these discussions with people on the bench, and they're going to understand. So when we put somebody in and we pull somebody else out, I can have that conversation with them quick, or the person that just came off the bench can go in and relay that and communicate it and make it stronger.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, let's get back to that original question that I threw at you there. Uh, you know, you're. You know, what are what have been. The, the actions or the uh, the the specials or that type of stuff that that you've really found uh, I mean you've had thousands of reps with with this at a, at a very high level um, what 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 have you what's your kind of go to stuff that 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 has been successful for you or when you're guarding other teams it's like oh man that that action is just so hard for us to guard um, you know. And I, and I know you're a zone guy, and we'll get to your zone stuff here in just a, just a minute, my next question. But uh, what's worked for you?
1: Well, for us, a lot of it is, is we're all trying to get movement going to the basket. Mm-hmm. So, like, if if our point guard is coming up, bringing it up, and she's got a person on the wing, and we've got a person that's basically trailing, we can sometimes try to get that trailing person coming up and basically do a shallow rub screen mm-hmm. and then that point guard can hit that gap hard mm-hmm. because if it's basically it's somewhat of a moving screen but it's not because she's moving and it's not it's not a legal pick but it's just because all you're trying to do is get that defender to freeze yep. a little bit and if she freezes then that ball person can go right underneath or go right under it And now you've got that weave action. Mm -hmm. So we can hit into that gap really hard right away and look to create. And the same thing is if the point guard's still coming up on the side and she's got a person that's ahead of her on the wing, they can instantly pivot and do that shallow cut this way. And now you've got that baseline drive with all the shooters on the backside. Gotcha. So, we're always trying to create options or mismatches because whenever we're calling plays or running sets, it's not for the player to score, but it's for the player to create offense. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's for the player to just go and score it. Sometimes it's to set up.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know. The other thing, what we're seeing a lot of is double high ball screens or like into a flat ball screen
0: uh-huh. Okay.
1: because if it's a double high ball screen and she's coming <laughs> off that that ball that bottom person rotates up to the three-point line and then the other one dies so if you try if that top guard that's getting screen gets picked on it well you've got to help and now there's two people that are scrambling towards
2: it
0: yeah yeah, and, so, and, and they've and, I mean, and they've done their job where they've got two players on the ball, and now you're just making a play.
1: Yeah, and it's it's kind of the same thing. You're trying to get. It's kind of the way that the game started to go. Is everything's more downhill, mm-hmm. and
2: so it's, it's it can be extremely
1: difficult to defend if you do not communicate with it
2: mm-hmm.
1: because. You know, when they when they start stacking those double high, you almost want both your players to come up, and they're not so much worried about the slip, because you've got to try and push that ball carrier out.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so when you see the that double high action or that flat stuff, um, are are you? You know, I'm assuming uh, there's a lot of you know the the other two kids are are in the coffin corners. Uh, a lot of the time and they're just trying to get that spread as much as they can. So are, are, are you talking with your, with your kids off the ball, guarding those coffin corner kids? Hey, you've got to get an extra step in when you start seeing them go into this set or you start, we, we, we hear that in the scout, they're running Pittsburgh and we know what Pittsburgh is, is, are, are you focusing that in your, in your shell drill and your prep to get those kids off of those corners a little bit more to help out with that?
1: Absolutely, and we tell them if they react <laughs> if they if they react in too much and give up that corner shot, <laughs> the team's running, and so it definitely puts another emphasis on it to be in that gap, squeeze the lane down, but react out mm-hmm. because we always want to say is you never if you're in those possessions you never go for a steal. You get a steal because if, <laughs> if you go for that and you don't get it, you're giving up that three at the corner. Yeah, so
2: <laughs> yeah, we
1: we stress that a lot to squeeze those lanes down to basically trying to force it to the corner, but still be able to be in a position to close out on the corner and still block it
0: down. So you're probably teaching then not a not a complete help and rotation but more of a stunt and recover is kind of what you're, what you're rolling, yes. leading to.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Because hopefully, you know, that other post player, you know, cause she's not all the way, she's not up super high to where she's going to pull herself out of position to where maybe she could still help on, on that backside to cover down.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, that's a, that's a longer, you know, they got to go all the way across the court. Then, when 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 you come off that opposite person a little bit, so they can get an extra step and and hopefully have a chance to recover. And if you get enough ball pressure, maybe they throw a little bit more of a grenade pass, which gives them more of an opportunity to get back as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. and you know there will be there will be some teams to where we lock left or ice that, and we just try to not even let them come off that screen that double high.
0: Yeah. So,
1: And then just try to box
2: it in that area.
0: Yeah. So for our listeners that don't know what an ice uh, screen is, uh, real quick in, in 20 seconds, uh, tell them what, a, what, what icing the ball screen is. And, and this was actually, uh, it was invented, uh, allegedly, I, I thought I saw something, uh, is when the Knicks were playing the Jordan Bulls in the mid-90s. And and they didn't know how to handle the side ball screen with Jordan, and, and it was it was like Van Gundy and Thibodeau or somebody came up with it with when they were on Riley's staff or something like that. So, uh, what do you mean by ice in the ball screen?
1: Uh, ice in the ball screen is getting up into that gap. So like if I'm defending the ball carrier and I see that that screen is coming to me, like if I'm looking at the ball carrier straight up and that screen is coming to me on the on my left side. I'm going to try to get up into that gap and high and over and basically open her up to basically push that person, to push the ball carrier the opposite direction. The defender who is setting that screen is going to stay low and just box box
2: the ball carrier in. Mm-hmm. And so we just we're just
1: not going to allow her to come off that screen so then we don't have to worry about High hedging or
2: switching.
1: Yeah. I, so, cause then what we do is we want that whoever's defending the ball to basically sprint to that baseline or sprint to that short corner and cut it
0: mm-hmm. not
1: slide, but sprint and cut it. And then that person who's boxing it can rotate back out.
0: hmm. Yep. And, and is that for, for me, when, when we would run that, it was really successful for us on the sides uh, you know, free throw line extended type of stuff, but it was more difficult when the ball was centered. Have you found that out for, for your kids as well?
1: Uh, yes, but it's something that we'll work on uh-huh. enough in advance. And we preach, we preach that if, that if that high ball screen gets too high up and it's coming from the side, just to go under the screen. Okay. Because if she's going to shoot it deep, if she's going to shoot it from deep, you know we're gonna play the percentages.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I'll, I'll tell my kids every now and then. Uh, you know, uh, if that kid hits that shot, we're probably in trouble anyway. So let's just let's just roll with it. You know, um,
2: for sure. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, so hey, uh, let's let's talk about one more thing real quick here, Kelly. Uh, you're a zone guy. Uh, you, you like running a lot of zone. Um, talk about, um, and, and I don't want to, you know, give away too much stuff, uh, so that uh, people take advantage of, of it or whatever, but what, uh, um, what are some actions against your, your zones over the years that has given your defenses, uh, problems, uh, that, that you've had trouble guarding when, when you see it?
1: Well, as of lately, I mean, we're seeing a lot more read and react versus it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's just kind of that four out one in, just motion, trying to keep the spacing, and just always, it's it's becoming harder to match up to. And this is why it's just something you've got to work on every single day. And. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's going to be that much action, because, you know, in the read and react, there's a lot of different cutters, there's a lot of different, and there's no, you know, set structured pattern. I mean, the big thing with it is you've got to make sure that you're always watching your positioning Mm -hmm. and hitting hitting cutters. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you've got to try to slow those cutters up because, you know, anybody that's flashing high posts or cutting through the middle of the lane, you know, you've got to make sure you try to slow them up. So it's just not a quick release. Do,
0: do you guys, uh, see a lot of screening against your zone?
1: Uh, it just depends on the school yeah. and depends on the coach's philosophy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's, it's really kind of a, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams believe that, you know, more on ball screens than a zone is really going to slow that movement down. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's some that that really try to load one side up and just get get screens, but you know, usually, usually your top two players
0: are usually your best kids that can get through screens and still sure. contain the ball. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they're fighting through it and you know, cutting down the angle coming off of that ball screen. Do, do you see do you see a lot of of interior screening, like off ball interior screening against your stuff?
1: Uh, some we'll see it some, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is is you know with scouting reports and stuff like that you know you can you can usually see by formations and stuff like that that you know what they're looking for mm-hmm. And you know, obviously when somebody throws something new at you, you know you may give it up once, but more likely your
0: kids it's gonna lock it down a second time yeah what did uh what what would uh President w Bush say? Fool me once, shame on, shame on me. Just fool, just don't try to fool me. All right, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know? So that, that that's wise words from our forty-third president of the United States. So, um, anything else, Kelly? Anything else you want to throw out there? No, I just appreciate you having me on tonight,
1: and it's, I really enjoyed it a lot
0: yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Sorry, we had the delay uh, for 24 hours here, but uh, uh, when the seventeen year old daughter wants to watch Pride and Prejudice uh, for her birthday, you you, you you watch Pride and Prejudice for her birthday. So it, it was it was Absolutely. better than what I thought it was gonna be too. so, <laughs> so
1: good. maybe I have to watch it now. <laughs>
0: uh, we watched the just just point of reference. Uh, it was the Kira Knightley version from like 2003, I think, or something around there. So, um, you know, in the next few days, why don't you rent that? Or, or if you want to pick up the DVD, buy it and give me a call and we'll compare notes on on plot and performance and all that other stuff. How about that?
1: Sounds good. That'll work. <laughs> all
0: right. Kelly Kilsmeyer, uh, Associate Head Coach at Quincy University. Want to thank him for coming on the pod uh coach thanks again man appreciate it
1: yeah appreciate it
0: have a good one next on our quick hitters podcast i am really really excited to have chris oliver from basketball immersion on the podcast here this afternoon, uh, Coach. Thanks for finding some time here for me. Uh, we're on a little bit of a time crunch. I'm on my lunch break right now as we <laughs> as we tape, but you know what, Coach? I'm willing to give up my lunch to have you on the podcast. So it's greatly appreciated.
3: Well, uh, honored to be here and honored to talk, talk basketball and grateful for those opportunities whenever they happen. Marty, thanks
0: for having me. No problem. So. Uh, like I talked about before we started recording here, you have the unique perspective where uh, you're not tied down to uh, just a team. Uh, you're, you're taking the 30,000-foot view of, of everybody's stuff and, and evaluating things and, and not having as, as much of a myopic point of view as a guy like me may have from time to time where, well, will this fit my team or, or whatever? So I'm really excited to delve in on a few things with that. I wanted to start with this. Um, You're a big tape guy. Uh, You're watching a lot of film from a lot of different places, uh, whether it's domestically or internationally. Um, Over the last two, three, four years, uh, what are some of the actions on offense that you have seen that are kind of the new wave into the game, the the stuff that it seems like teams are having the most difficulty to, to guard?
3: Well, I mean, that's, it's, first of all, I think you're the first podcast I've ever been on that has used the word myopic, so uh, <laughs> I, I know immediately that uh, it's going to be a fun deep dive, but, uh, you know, obviously so much of that is unique to the level and unique to the mm-hmm. to the country, but I would say there's so many Different things that have evolved over the last few years. Like, if you're talking about the professional level, uh, Europe or, you know, the NBA, then, you know, there's a lot more actions before the actions and a lot more, I would say, a lot less direct cuts to get to the same place in a sense like uh a lot of flip screens which traditionally happened in a ball screen situation but now you see a cutter coming from an angle where it would appear like they're not going to set a screen and then they flip and they set say a a stagger or a down screen pin down type of screen Mm -hmm. so there's some different things like that that are happening where there's a little bit more creativity in the deception and the masking of actions Mm -hmm. i would say another one just to give another hopefully simple example is what are called grenades at the uh, nba level and that is you know different types of handoffs out of the low post area and uh you know you run a play to get it to the low post and then there's a handoff out of the low post to be able to again attack from a different angle than traditionally is what is defended and i think that's really the whole point is they're just trying to be able to get teams to have to account for variables that they didn't have to account to count for say in traditional
0: offensive stuff it almost sounds like it's a it's a little bit of, and i agree with you on on especially that first point uh it, it almost has a little bit of a of a football type of trend to it where we're having all a kind of some false motion that you know action one is not really what we're looking for action two is not what we're looking for it's really the the third option that we're running this through here and we're running one and two to get the mismatch or given getting you to move one direction in order for us to go to the direction we really want to go in is that a is that a is that an accurate statement?
3: It is. And it's existed overseas, it's existed in Europe in the FIBA game more. And it's it's coming it certainly took a longer time to get to the NBA. And I think sometimes in the college game, and which is reflected in the high school games, the high school game is so hard to talk about because of the lack of a shot clock mm-hmm. in so many levels, right? In, in in America. So let's stay away from that. But at the college level Traditionally, a lot of these masking actions were not like they're never trying to score, they're just running the traditional Princeton, you know, back in the day where it's like we're going to run 30 seconds of the shot clock before we even look to score. Mm-hmm. So, we're not really saying that there's the other piece, which is more of a technical piece that goes with it or a skill piece, is that anytime advantages are created, it, players are attacking. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where we're seeing a lot of the off the ball cutting. 45 cuts or cutting off of drives or cutting off a ball screen and we're seeing a lot more players break off patterns to be able to attack with advantage so they go hand in hand i think where you're seeing a lot of yes you're seeing a lot more masking actions but those aren't necessarily just you know plays to be able to run clock those are opportunities to score but you know that at the end of it you know it's spain action instead of say coming direct down the floor and running Spain immediately.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, kind, of, kind of in line with that, what do you see, you know, this is what's been happening the last two or three years. What do you see happening? Where do you see the game going in the next two or three years? What's the next big trends? Uh, and, and if you're a coach that's trying to get out in front of something, uh, is it even more three-pointers than we're already seeing? Or Have we kind of capped out on can we shoot any more three-pointers? Um, you know, if, if you had to make – if you had to get out your crystal ball and make a prediction of in three – two or three years from now, this is the next couple of trends that we're going to see in the game, what do you think they might be?
3: Well, the three-point shooting is the one that uh, is the most obvious one. And, and, you know, again, that's relative to the level. At the NBA level, can they shoot more threes? Well, they're going to try. (laughs) So you better get used to it. Uh, They're definitely going to try. And uh, I think that's going to continue to happen. That hasn't really, you know, it hasn't gone into the college game as much. You know, certainly in Europe, the three is important, but they still play through the post a lot more. So it's a little bit variable where you are in terms of some of these different types of trends. But what I believe is not going to go away, and coaches, you know, I think that all good coaches, whether you're a player development coach or your team coach, you know, you're already there or you're getting there is that players want to enjoy playing the game. And the easiest way to play, enjoy playing the game is that you're really skilled. So these multi-skilled or positionless players, that is a trend that should not go away. It's better for, it's best for basketball, that all players want to be able to shoot the ball and all players want to be able to handle the ball. Because if I reflect on, you know, youth basketball experiences that I've been around, the kids that have the most fun, are the most skilled,
2: mm-hmm. right?
3: It's more fun to play when you're skilled, just like it's more fun to read the bigger the vocabulary you have. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's going to continue to grow. And I think you're going to see this, this resistance that still exists at some places, at some levels, dissipate. And we're going to get into this full on let's develop everyone to the best of their abilities. And it's the team coach's responsibility to figure out how to plug and play players in terms of the roles that they want to be able to help their team succeed.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're talking, you know, it's funner to read. I thought I'd use the word myopic one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> exactly. Um, you, you kind of address this. You know, you're, you're, you're talking about uh, positionless, m- uh, multi-skilled players and uh i I think this plays into that as well my next question um you know you're, you're talking about that type of ball uh much more four and five out the 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 old days of the two big posts and the high low game or that type of stuff it's 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 harder and harder to find um Along with that, perhaps one of the biggest skills that you have to teach, and maybe you could give our coaches a few tips on this, uh, Chris, uh, would be decision making, and and how to make good decisions and the right decisions uh, while you're developing these positionless, multi-skilled players. Uh, what tips would you have for our coaches? You know, and and most of the coaches that listen to this are going to be uh, high school. Uh, area coaches so so they're they're really at the ground level of teaching kids these skills uh what are some suggestions you have to our coaches for teaching decision making within that positionless multi-skilled players
2: well
3: the first thing is to start from a, a position of knowing that decisions are skills right mm-hmm. like it, it, i think we just think about skill as being this physical or this biomechanical aspect of a player but just decision-making as a skill, which means that we can develop it. We can improve it. Uh, It's not something you're born with. It's not this nurture versus nature debate. So that's the number one thing is that you can develop it. How do you develop it? Well, you know, again, this goes back to obviously a lot of skill acquisition, a lot of evidence-based sciences. The easiest way to be able to develop decision-making is to develop it within the context that you play. Mm -hmm. So for basketball, that's very specific you learn decisions by playing basketball in realistic situations that transfer to the game. And I think too often coaches develop these drills or these small sided games or these advantages or different things like that that Yes, they give some skill development. Yes, they develop a little bit and transfer the game. But by and large, we're missing it because it's out of context of how it's actually used in a game. So more realistic game-based play is always my suggestion to coaches. Now, um, the initial part of skill development in terms of decision-making is often it's too difficult to be able to put a player you know, in a... Three on three small sided game and say, hey, listen, make good decisions. Mm -hmm. So we want to create constraints for them. We want to create things that shape learning for them. And that the simplest way to understand that is basically, you know, Marty, I take you to the buffet and you know what? The first time we go to the buffet, you are only allowed to eat the salad bar. And then I will assess it from there and see if the next time you can have pasta bar and the next time you can have meat, etc. But it's going to be unique and different for each player, the level that they can get to and how fast they can get there. So using these different constraints can help you shape their learning. Instead of saying you have all these possibilities, right now you only have two possibilities. And that's still decision-making because you have to choose one of those two.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: What I caution coaches with is to avoid absolutes. Mm -hmm. absolutes kill decision making and we're really good at that as basketball coaches you absolutely have to do this at this time in this way that's not decision making that is the player has no choice and i'm not saying absolutes are wrong you can have some but if you have all absolutes then you are taking away decision making opportunities from your players ultimately leading to creativity and solutions which is what we want our players to have we always want them to have a solution
0: If you only let me have the salad bar, I'm not going back to the buffet with you, Chris. I'm going to be honest with you.
3: Well, that applies (laughs) to a lot. And that's where (laughs) – and Marty, it's a great point. But I'll tell you, here's how I manage that because I'm so glad you brought that up.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: If I – the first time I take you to a buffet, Marty, I'm letting you eat everything. Mm -hmm. I'm letting you do anything you want to do. And then that's going to help me make an assessment – of where I should be starting you or what I should be focused on. Great point. And I think that's yep. another mistake coaches make is that they go into seasons or practices with predetermined ideas of what players should learn rather than let's start from five on five. Play some five on five mm-hmm. with, again, set up situations that your team's going to run without coaching it mm-hmm. and then evaluate what do I actually need to teach, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and that speeds up like, progressions kill learning as much as they help learning yep. and i'm not anti-progression i'm anti-starting from the progression yeah start from the whole, and then figure it out from there and decide because often what you learn marty you don't need the progression yep or a certain player doesn't need the progression so why take away their opportunity by putting them through things that they don't need to do
0: i th- was it i think it might have been bob knight i can't remember who but they, they said whole part whole you know, um, is a great teaching method to do that with. I, and, and, and maybe it wasn't Coach Knight. I can't remember who. Uh, but well, he was th-
3: definitely wired that way. Like, he yeah. taught that way. Um, a lot of the coaches that we kind of immortalize in that old school way, like, again, the methods and how they did it, look, we, we can have a debate. and We can argue it. But a lot of times in this culture, in this society, they're wrong. You just can't coach that way anymore, and you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be allowed to,
2: yeah.
3: right? Because it's got to be human dignity and respect above all else. Yeah. However, in terms of just pure tactical and technical practices, they were they were they were not drill based. They were game based practices. Absolutely. Now, it didn't yep. mean they didn't do drills, and didn't yep. mean they didn't break down skills. But by and large, it was always connected back to the game, and I can picture that with a Dick Bennett, with the you know. With the Bobby Knight type stuff, they yep. were just great coaches because they always connected it back to the game.
0: Yep, that was going to be my, my next question related to that. If you were to, uh, and 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 obviously, like a lot of our a lot of the folks that are going to listen to this, uh, they're going to go to a YouTube and and okay, well, who who can I look at? Who can who, who can help me with decision making? So if if, if uh, in, in your studies and your uh uh an analysis of of so many people. Uh, who would be two, three, four people that you would recommend that that do a great job of teaching the game in the way that you're describing it? That our that our li- coaches listening would have an opportunity to to study as well in a relatively easy manner.
3: Well, easy is the hard part of that because I, I don't think it's easy to study, you know, decision making, and it's not easy to see how they build decision making because unfortunately we just don't have access to say Mark Few's practice. Yeah, but I imagine Mark Few does a great job in these areas and this is just me talking out loud having watched your team play
2: mm-hmm.
3: i believe they start from structure and then i believe that gradually they get freedom from that structure
2: mm-hmm. and
3: then the end result after those that month of practices and then as they continue through the season is progressively it looks less and less like there's any structure and players play with more confident confidence because they are able to apply decisions and skills together with freedom Mm -hmm. and that's what leads to creativity yeah and if we don't have that they're not going to ever get beyond you know the a and b solutions that we give them and we know that players often come up with way better solutions than we ever thought of because they're playing the game they're playing the game so like i imagine people like that i mean clearly i'm biased i'm here to share and not sell but Basketball immersion and the whole platform and all the master classes. Like, we have over 70 master classes now with coaches around the world, plus over 500 videos of my stuff and Alex Sarama's stuff which all is centered around this concept of how do we build skills and decisions within the context of the game, using small sided games, constraints and advantage, disadvantage drills, which is another really effective way to be able to do the building blocks of decision-making. And, uh, you know, we've, we've built a worldwide platform basically on that concept of trying to teach people that there is a better way to do this. And it is possible to do that because unfortunately, again, at the end of the day, we don't have access to Scott Drew's practices, to see how those Baylor guards played with such creativity and skill,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: but yeah. I'm hypothesizing that that is what has happened, yeah. is that is a process.
0: Yeah. Um, you you kind of delved into it a little bit. Uh, like I said, you're, you're seeing, you, you have the opportunity to see a lot of different things. And um, one of the things that that I'm fascinated by is the, the streamlining of the game and, and, and borrowing from here, borrowing from there. Um, and m- my life has been as, as an American small college and high school coach. Um, what, are, what are some, some things that and, – and, and, but even in America, we have these battles between the high school system versus the AAU. Uh, there's rivalries and there's jealousies and there's stuff that goes on between those two, or the youth, the youth system versus the high school system, or it just in general, the U.S. system versus the European system and the academies. The kids are going at at age 10, 11, 12, and they're basically full time players. You know, what's kind of the, how can we take all of these different ways of doing this beautiful game and 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 how can what are what are the important things that we need to take from each one of those to kind of streamline it to the best of our abilities
1: well
3: i mean it, i believe it all starts from psychological safety is that no matter what or how we approach it as a coach we are going to have better players who develop better if we create psychological safety for them and that means that they come to practice they know that there's an intent to improve I'm not talking about frivolous fun. I'm talking about a player feels that they're improving. The coach notices that the player's improving. And then from there, there's this process, obviously, of player development within team concepts. And I think that's really the point is that, you know, to be able to integrate this, whatever your coaching philosophy is, is to me relatively common sense because. Ultimately, rather than us dictating and determining, our players are going to lead us to help us understand what we're going to teach them and how we can teach them better. And I think all the great coaches do that to a certain extent is that the players really really teach us what they need to learn in what situation if we pay attention and if we put them in these game-based opportunities and that would be the thing that also goes with that is just i think more and more coaches are getting a real good understanding of that like for for skills and decisions and team concepts to transfer to games you need to practice like the game
2: Mm -hmm.
3: like you just do i mean it's It's like think about like a pianist doesn't run around the piano to get ready to play piano (laughs) like there's no point to that. So, you know, a basketball coach who does all these drills that aren't something that specifically happens in a game are taking away repetitions that help the player improve and transfer information and biomechanical movement to the game. So Mm -hmm. that's another part that's going to become, you know, I I think again, coaches are moving in that direction Mm -hmm. and especially the younger generation. I think that's grown up a little bit more in these areas is really starting to connect some of these ideas.
0: Yeah. One of the things I, I, I didn't coach for two years. And one of the things that I realized with my own drill and skill work is, uh, I at times with my drills I became too myopic there it is third time we've used it, Chris um, with okay, we're just going to focus on rebounding in this drill and and my, my listeners have heard me say this before, but I wanted to bounce this off of you. Um, I, I decided I made a, a list of here's the the ten, 10 or 11 essential skills in the game and I'm not going to do any drill in practice. That doesn't have at least three of these skills included in the drill at a high level, at a high uh, competitive level, at a high intensity level. Otherwise, we're not going to do the drill unless it involves shooting. That's the only. That's the only time that we violate that rule. And again, that's one thing I've adjusted within my own philosophy to make it more game-like at all times instead of just getting locked in on just this one drill for five to seven minutes. No, we've got to multitask as much as we can because the game is multitask and quick transitions. Is that something that kind of falls in line with what you're talking about as well?
3: Well, yes, 100%. I mean, I call it mixing
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, because what we know about the retention uh, practice that's necessary for a player to be able to retain what we teach them is that they have to be stimulated through retrieval practice. That means that we w- ultimately want them they, they learn best when they're almost forgetting
2: mm-hmm.
3: right like yeah. that, and then we stimulate them to remember and mm-hmm. that only happens with what you're talking about. Uh, you know the official words are more interleaving and different things around that. I just call it mixing because again it's like we're gonna mix a b and c together as you said i love your list idea i love your idea of that like that holds you accountable to know hey listen it's not one isolated thing like you cannot develop rebounding as an isolated skill Mm -hmm. in my opinion right like it's really not it's it happens after all these other things happen first Mm -hmm. so to say you can just isolate that and a player will get better is just not true because ultimately the decision is more important than the skill when it comes to so many different things, that's not to discount the skill of actually going to say, get the ball, but the decision to go get the ball is way more important in a rebound. Right. And where you go and your angle and all these different things. So you can't train that in isolation. And I agree more. And I want to just support you on that, that shooting is the one skill that can and should be developed in isolation. Uh, You know, but you need to be able to connect it again to the game. And that involves, all these different variables where, you know, it's a decision. You never shoot the ball without a decision. Mm-hmm. So if I pass it to you and you shoot 10 shots in a row from the same spot, this block practice, then you're not making any decisions before you shoot. Yep. And again, that has limited value to a player yep. because ultimately that's not how the game is played. So uh, you're bang on with your concept and uh, I love that chart idea.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you got time for one more thing here? Of course. All right. Awesome uh high school or for, for our high school coaches uh obviously we don't have as much time as the college and the nba guys do to look at analytics and that type of thing I'm, I'm always curious when i talk to uh higher level coaches than high school coaches one of the things i'm always asking is analytics and for for us as high school coaches who in about in about five or six minutes i have to talk about uh the assassination of martin luther king jr here to some seniors uh so i don't have as much time to break down the film and analyze it and put the math in as as the other guys do but if you were to pick two or three uh of the most important base analytical things that we should be looking at at high school coaches to help uh, evaluate our programs and evaluate our teams in your opinion what would those be
3: well, it's such a, such a great question. And, uh, you know, I think for the most part, it just comes back to the original stuff like the Dean Oliver four factors and all the different things that go from that. Like here, and here's the value of analytics for you as a coach. It's, it's ultimately just something that adds credibility to what you want, but you know, the concepts of the four factors, obviously, you know, certain shooting percentage, turnover, rebound, free throws, like we want to get all these things in order. So, you know, we know generally that if we account for these four factors, We have a better than, you know, higher percentage chance of winning. Mm -hmm. So, look, I don't know what I do. Sorry, I should should say this. I do know players are smarter than they used to be, right? And that's not a knock on other generations. And I know other generations get their egos, but players are better. Players are smarter. Players are more skilled. Well, look, they have way more resources than you and I ever had. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you have YouTube, they have more games on, they have more opportunities. They have player development coaches, which I think again are positive. All these things are positive. So maybe back to your other question too. I think the best coaches embrace it all. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to get into battles with AU coaches. I'm not going to get in battles with my, you know, with my player skills trainers. I'm going to embrace them because at the end of the day, what gets a player playing more basketball helps that player. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. But we make it clear that, look, when you come back to the team, we're doing it this way because this is what I feel is in the best interest of the team. And then that's that's ultimately our job as a coach is to bring them back into those situations to be able to do that. So um, I I would probably say the easiest for high school coaches to be able to do some of these four factor type things. Um, But clearly there's coaches. There's a lot of high school coaches doing some. Pretty impressive stuff when it comes to analytics and stats. And, uh, you know, they're the ones that we need to study more. And to be honest, it's part of what I want to try and share more. Some of these coaches, they're doing some pretty simple things, uh, you know, from that level.
0: Terrific, terrific stuff. Chris Oliver from Basketball Immersion. Chris, thanks so much for your time uh, this afternoon. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, This has been a terrific 25-minute conversation that we've been able to, to record here. So thanks so much. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, I appreciate it, and thank you for doing
3: your part to help grow this game and share this game.
0: Yep, you bet. Thanks, Chris.